0: are, um, as I said, walking through this series. We're calling Life of Gratitude. And, you know, we've been exploring different portions of a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. It was a a port city that was well-known in ancient Rome. And um, we've been exploring this letter. This letter that, by the way, we've come to understand was really regarded as a thank-you note. It was a thank-you letter that was preempted by a gift that was received by the Apostle Paul from the the believers at Philippi while he was under house arrest in a place of confinement, awaiting his trial before the Roman emperor, wondering if his days would be numbered much more quickly than he anticipated or if they would be extended. And it's in this place, in this environment of receiving provisions, a care package, if you will, that he ends up launching into this thank you note that expresses his affection and his love for them. And it also gives us insight to how Paul sought to live a life of gratitude. And what we're going to see here as, he, as we come to kind of the, the latter portion of this letter, what we're going to see is that uh, it's not just him who embraces this life. Well, the community as well is seeking to live a life of gratitude. And, and what we're going to see is that a rich life, a rich life toward Jesus is one that causes us to have an abundance of reasons to be grateful, especially in um, the midst of scarcity. and a life that is rich toward Jesus, it's one that, that organically, naturally leads to having an abundance of reasons to be grateful. There will be no shortage in that kind of life, which means, it means something, that if this is true, which I'm suggesting it is, it means that how we choose to invest ourselves in the small decisions of our lives, in the day-to-day decisions, in the maybe even the more mundane areas of our life, how we invest ourselves, it actually directly impacts whether or not we're able to experience a life of gratitude. It, It has a direct correlation. Because, listen, a life that is rich toward Jesus, it doesn't happen accidentally. It has to have intention. It requires our participation, which means that every moment we spend investing our lives into the different pursuits and every other area of our life, however we do it, however we choose to invest ourselves, it directly correlates to how we will be able to experience a life of gratitude. This is what we're going to see. And what we're going to see is the final words in which Paul actually ends up addressing directly the gift, the care package. It's not actually at the beginning that he expresses a direct sense of gratitude for what he received. It's toward the end, toward his final words. And if you open up your handout, we'll go ahead and just read through his thoughts toward them together. And we're told in Philippians 4, verse 10, and he starts out, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Um, what we see here is that he starts off by doing what? He, he, essentially, he addresses the gift he received. And he says, I rejoice greatly when I receive this because it demonstrated that you are concerned for me. And then he, almost like wanting to qualify that, immediately says, not that you weren't concerned for me before. It's just that you, maybe you lacked the opportunity to express it. So I just want you to understand, I'm so grateful for it. And then then he does what, upon further consideration, if we run past it quickly, we might miss it. But some have suggested that what Paul actually does is he does something that's almost a little bit rude. Um, Because what does he say? He says, he says, Thank you for the gift. And then what is his next sentence? But I'm not, I didn't really need it. You see it? It's, it some have said, boy, you know, Paul, it's, it's like he's messing up the thank you. It's like he's ungrateful in his gratitude. Hey, thank you, th- I really, I man, thank you so much for the gift. I didn't really need it. Didn't, didn't really need it, all right? It's, it's like, it did. It's almost as if it didn't really matter. It almost could come off that way, right? Which would be like, boy, wow, Paul, that's a little tough. Why would you do that? But it's actually not what he's doing. Because he's speaking into a convention of his time. He's actually dressing something that the Philippians would easily operate under. If we see it, what he's actually doing is he's saying this I want to thank you for your gift. But I want you to understand, if I could say this, our relationship isn't dependent on you giving me a gift. Another way of saying it is, um, our relationship is not dependent, our friendship is not dependent on your usefulness to me. Okay? So, our friendship didn't need you to give me the gift. Just so we're clear. You're not a commodity, is what he's saying. You're not a commodity. I'm not looking at you as my meal ticket. I'm not looking at you as my benefactor, just so we're clear. This affection exists beyond that. It's not the type of friendship we have. You see, he's actually doing something profound. Our friendship didn't need this. I have discovered, and then he makes a statement, "I have learned in whatever situation I am in, to be content, which almost makes Paul look like, um, like a man who is unaffected by the highs and lows of life. The pains of life just don't touch him. Don't, it, it could almost seem as if he's saying, "You know what? I'm unfazed, no matter what. I've learned how to be unfazed." So all, almost, it seems that way. But he continues and he reveals it's far from it, actually. He experiences everything, but even though he experiences it, what does he say? He says in verse verse 12, I know how to be brought low. That is, I have experienced it, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This, this, by the way, is a, a word many of us may be familiar with because what is he saying? He's, he's actually, here. He, what he is saying is significant and worth for us to consider. He is saying essentially, listen, I have figured out how to be satisfied in any circumstance. And here's the deal. Here's what he's not saying. That I have, he's not saying, I figured out how to just Pull myself up by my bootstraps and muscle things out. I, by my own strength, can do this. This is what he's not saying. That I am self sufficient. He's actually not saying that, which many of us might think that's what we're invited into. And when we recognize that's exactly the opposite of what he's saying, we start to discover the great news of the gospel. Because what he says is not that I ignore the highs and lows, no, I have learned. I have learned in my lowest points and in my highest points, when I was in need and when I had no need, I have learned in both areas, he is with me. Jesus is able to strengthen me. No matter what the variations of life may present themselves with, I have been kept by him. That's what he's saying. He gives me the strength. He gives me the strength, which, by the way, he does qualify what he's able to do. Some of us may have may sometimes misunderstood that what he might be saying is, I can do anything because he strengthens me. And some of us may have maybe heard of or heard others say, you know what, it doesn't matter if we're gifted or talented. If we have the desire, let's go for it. Jesus can strengthen us. So I can do anything because he gives me the strength. There is no impossibility. Which is not actually what he's saying. He's saying, no, whatever life presents to me, uh, whatever challenge comes my way, he is able to stabilize my feet. He is able to keep me content. He is able. I have, dis- I have learned this over time. It's not immediate, but it has happened. This is what he's trying to tell them. And he continues, and he says in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to to share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I first started ministry, when I left Macedonia, which is where they're from, it's referred to as Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Um, I want you to understand, I want you to understand that I am aware this isn't the first time you've been generous toward me. You have been in my corner time and time again, from the very beginning. He says, even in Thessalonica, which is another region of the Roman Empire, you sent me help for my needs once and again. You have been so generous. Not that I seek the gift. I'm not telling you this to manipulate you into giving me more. This is what he's saying. I'm not telling you this to kind of compel you to give more. I'm not telling you this because of that. I'm telling you what is that I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I'm telling you because I want you to understand just how wonderful you are. You deserve the credit. You as a community, you're amazing, is what he's saying. And he continues, he says, listen, I have received... Full payment and more. I am supplied. I'm well supplied having received from Epiphraditus, which was the messenger they sent, the gifts you sent. And it is a fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You have have been a church, a community that has given time and time again. You've always been in my corner. I've always sensed your support. You've always been there with me. But I'm not... The provisions is not the reason we're connected. Not, it's not how our relationship is to be based. This is what he's saying. And, you know, we need to know that this church community, they, they weren't actually the wealthiest community in uh, the first century. They, they were actually quite the opposite. In fact, so deeply impacted was Paul by the demonstration of this this church's generosity, that in a different letter to a group of of believers in a different city, Corinth, he decided, it's almost as if if I could put it this way, he couldn't help himself but brag about what was happening at Philippi in Macedonia. And it reveals a little bit of the characteristic of this church community. We, start, we see it in 2 Corinthians 8, and I, just, I put that passage just underneath. We're told, he says, we want you, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, we want you to know, brothers, that's encompassing brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That is, the different groups of believers there. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I want you to understand what's happening, is what he's saying. Look, He says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, I'm telling you the truth. I saw it myself and beyond their means. Of their own accord, we never asked it. But they, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That is, in what God is doing in other parts of the empire. He says, listen, and this, not as we expected, we did not expect this, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. This is the remarkable church Paul is writing to, and he's telling the Corinthians, I can't help but tell you, I need to tell you, what is happening in that community is amazing. Because we know that church was actually experiencing severe trial. They were being afflicted uh, physically. They were receiving persecution. And we also know that because of the degree of vitriol directed their way, their uh, economic status started to decline and their means of provision started to remove itself they started to taste and experience true paul said it extreme poverty and there in the midst of that you know what he's saying he said you know what's remarkable about this if anyone was in that situation they did the exact opposite of what we would expect they became so grateful for what god is doing in their heart in their soul that that gratitude." led to them begging us, can you please allow us to give? Please, allow us to give to what God is doing through your ministry, Paul. And you see it, that Paul um, was stunned. What? What is this? And that's what he's actually trying to acknowledge. He, he tells them, and this is why, by the way, he says in verse, in verse 18, he says, it, Your gift, it's like a fragrant offering. It, it's beautiful to God. That out of your lack, you're giving abundantly. It, it, it's like a sacrifice and it's acceptable. And please, you, you know, he's giving them the highest compliment. He can you reflect the heart of God so well. This is what he's saying. He says, so my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Your, your ability to embrace this life, well, it's, at the end of the day, it's going to give God great honor. So beautiful is your expression of gratitude and generosity that only God can take credit for that. No one could coerce it. No one can manipulate it. Only God can actually say, it's because of him that you're doing this. Otherwise, there's no other logical reason for you to do it. There simply isn't. You see? He, he, he's pointing out. You know what Paul is showing us here? In this exchange, he's showing us what a, an invitation we're given. A beautiful one, in my opinion, in which, what does he do? How does he start out? He started out coming to the city of Philippi, longing to give them something of the love of God. They, those who embraced the love of God through Jesus, ended up receiving something that expanded their soul to the point where, when Paul, who was the one who initiated this, ends up being in a point of need, they give back to him. And now that he has received what he has given, he is in confinement. He himself is in jail. And what is he doing? He is longing to give to them. You see, it's a cycle of grace. And they received grace through what Paul was doing. He receives grace through what God was doing in their lives. And then back and forth. You know what? It's, it's like a dance between Paul and the community. This is what we're invited into. A church community that is actually embracing a life of gratitude is one that longs and it lives and thrives at giving one to the other. This is what it looks like. This is beautiful exchange. Harmoniously. And all, everyone, grateful for the opportunity. Everyone filled with joy. Oh, I want to be able to give. I want to be able to give. I want to be able to encourage. I mean, it sounds surreal, right? This is exactly what was happening exactly what was happening. And so what does this tell us? What does this show us? How can we unpack this a little bit for our own lives? I'd like to suggest that what this shows us, what Paul and the Philippian church, the community itself that embraced the life of gratitude, what they show us is that, um, if we could put it this way, a rich life in Christ shows us how to properly handle other sources of wealth. A rich life in Christ shows us how to properly handle other sources of wealth. Uh, you know, because what, what was Paul telling him? He was telling him that he had learned something. Learning is the key, by the way. That indicates process. That indicates moments of failure. That indicates uh, a curve of sorts. That indicates it's not accidental. And he had learned something. He had learned that his true wealth comes through what Jesus is doing in his soul, in his heart. And what does he say? He says, "I have learned how to face what." And these, this is interesting. I have learned how to face what? Plenty. I have learned how to face abundance, and I have learned how to face success. Which is interesting because in their day, and certainly in ours, those three wouldn't—if uh, we could put it this—those would only be seen as blessings, would they not? I mean, no one would ever complain. Man, what's wrong? I just keep succeeding. Gosh, you know, it's terrible. Yeah, and no one would, I mean, that just, what? I just keep getting more and more resource. It's like, it's just coming to me. What's, you know, what's the problem, is what we would say. Really? Are you serious? Come on, give me some, right? It's like, we, I mean, some, we would be confounded. And yet, what is Paul saying? Paul, you can see the subtext. What is he saying? That plenty, abundance, and success actually has its own version of difficulty. That's what he's saying. That to be successful is actually to incur op- and to have wealth, to be filled to the brim, to have abundance is actually to step into a different type of trial. This is what he's saying. It's a different type of uh, test. Different challenges accompany it. I- I- if we could put it this way, it has its own price tag. It does. You know why? Because we know it, and certainly they knew it, that when we have an abundance of things, you know what happens? It has the ability to distort reality. It has the ability to distort what is actually worth pursuing in this life. It does. It affects how we see the rest of life. It has the ability to distort our value systems. And it has the ability, certainly has the ability to distort. Listen, we start to think, we, we can, we can easily, and I do say we, we can easily start to embrace a mentality that would say, you know what? How can we use people for the attainment of more possessions? Rather than what he was competing for, contending for. How can we use things, possessions, to love people? Abundance has the ability to turn people into commodities. And this is what Paul was saying. No, 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 no. I thank you for the gift, but you're, you're more valuable than the gift. And I've learned that because of what Jesus is doing in my life. This is what he said. He is my source of wealth. He is my source of wealth. In a different part of the letter earlier, he, he tells them this. He says, listen, and I asked him to put this up there. He says, whatever gain I had, in his case, was his pedigree, his um, education, his credentials. That's what he had value from before he met Jesus. We might have different sources of wealth. But he says, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as, and here's this word, rubbish. Now, that word is actually more accurately translated dog dung. That's the truth. It's the word he used. They sanitize it a little and say rubbish. He says, in order that I may gain Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying, when I have come to more fully understand the incredible gift Jesus has given me, when I understand that he, the Son of God, went onto the cross and paid the debt I could never pay, and then on the other side of the grave, gives me free access to life and hope everlasting, acceptance and his embrace, no matter what I've done, then I discover everything else pales in comparison. He is my source of wealth. The the best I can describe it, he said. The best I can describe Everything else is secondary. But the best I can describe it, it's second place. But it kind of looks like rubbish. He's saying, "Mm, I can't keep it. Can't keep it anyway. It will all leave me, or I will leave it. But he is my wealth. This is what he's saying. How do we do that? How do we become rich in Christ? How do we do this? Well, it's a lifelong learning curve. Because, listen, what does he do at first? He, uh, he accurately appraises what he has with Jesus. Some of us, uh, perhaps, it'd be, well, we, we need to have a reappraisal of what we have with Jesus. Uh, but he accurately appraises, he, he, he makes a statement Jesus is wealth. He is my source of greatest wealth. Uh, Jesus would put it this way. It's the pearl of greatest price. It's the treasure that, that makes everything else look insignificant. We, we make that statement. And some of us, we might say, you know what? I'm not ready to make that statement. That's okay. May we continue to explore and be open. Others of us, we might say, yeah, I make that statement. And honestly, Lewis, it's, it's easy to make that statement. That's not the hard part. The hard part is staying there. It's staying there because, yeah, I'm with you. But it's so hard to stay there. And it's true. You know why it's true? Because you know why it's hard to stay in that place of recognizing where our wealth comes from? Because, firstly, we all have a heart that is divided. <laughs> We all have mixed motivations. All of us have competing interests, competing desires. It's the truth. We're all on the same boat in this one. But that's the truth. We, we, and we are surrounded in a culture that has very different models of what success looks like. It's countercultural. And so what we, we are actually facing a challenge in our lives in which we might leave a place like this reminded, yes, Jesus is my greatest source of wealth. Jesus is my greatest source of wealth. He is the one who actually fills my soul with satisfaction. And we might just as early as this afternoon forget that because we might all of a sudden life happens and things come our way and other things cross our path. And this is what happens. You know what we need? This is why it's so important to learn to develop a daily ritual of sorts to remind ourselves to reset, to reset. I uh, was told of a, of a baseball player who, um, you know, and I know many of us, some of us may not be too familiar, but in baseball, you know, to be, uh, to be 30% successful is actually really good. Right? You know what that means? 70% fail rate. You're still really good. That's baseball. That's kind of how it works. So if you're up to bat 10 times and three times you get on base point, you deserve a contract. If you fail 70, seven, seven out of those 10 times, it's, it's okay, so, which means you strike out a lot, you get out a lot. That's what it means. And one baseball player said, You know what? I've I noticed that when I swing and I miss the ball, it, it sticks with me, it messes with me, and the rest of the bat feels like it's ruined. And so, you know what I've done? This is what he said. I, what, in this interview, he said, I'll swing and I'll miss. And immediately, I need to refocus. But how can I refocus in a different stadium all throughout the week and all throughout the year, over 100 games in stadiums throughout the United States? Well, every stadium has the same thing. They have two foul poles at each corner of the, of the field. And so what he does is he steps out of the batter's box. He pauses, and he looks at that foul pole. And as he looks at that foul pole, he, he removes what just happened. He puts that, that, that is now a thing of the past. And he starts to remind himself What is the technique I need to focus on? What is the way I need to enter this? What is the thing that I have practiced over and over and over again? It's a fresh at bat. It's a fresh swing. That what just happened, It's gone. Can't do it. Anything about it. Time to look forward. Once he gets his mind reset, he gets back into the batter's box and he's ready to go. And you know what? Actually, it highlights something for us. Because we oftentimes, we might swing and miss. We, we could fail. Or we could get distracted by other pursuits. Or we could feel like certain things are bothering us and we're not able to refocus. And this is why it's so important as a ritual, and I mean this sincerely, to learn how to come to Him daily and to learn how to reset ourselves. Sometimes it's not even daily. It's three times a day because our day is that hard. Lord, remind me what I am, actually where my wealth comes from. Remind me, you're the source of my richness. You're the source of my strength. You're the source of my security. Not what my peers think, not my performance, not my paycheck. You're the source. You see? So significant. This is what he does. You know what happens? It's when we do this, what ends up happening is we start to see that a rich life in Christ, it inspires gratitude even in the midst of scarcity. Even in the lack, we have reason to be grateful. Even in the lack. Um, for me, I, I, I was first demonstrated this when I was eight years old. My parents took me to where they're from, El Salvador. And perhaps this is why, but I, I, I grew up here, San Francisco. No shortage, honestly, had more than I needed. And yet, I remember being surrounded by children some family members, some new friends, they demonstrated in their lack, and I would say this, in real poverty, true joy. It's You know why? It's, I remember I was eight and it's, it impacted me. And Some of us who have gone on mission trips or different outings in other parts of the world, we, we could see it. How is that possible? You know why? Because when the distractions are stripped, we start to recognize what is truly valuable. And and not to over-romanticize it, but that is the gift of poverty, the gift of lack in our lives sometimes, is that the crutches are removed that we used to lean on. And we start to discover it. Here's the thing we start to discover. Here, where I thought it was the beginning of my end, Lord, you are near. When I am most lonely, you are with me when I feel like I'm failing, you're my comforter. You're my source of greatest strength. And and here's what happens. It starts to open up and we start to recognize, Lord, I wasn't 100% faithful to you, but you are. I probably pursued other things, other ventures, other ambitions, and yet you never forsook me. Even here, you are with me. We start to discover. You know what happens? We start to rediscover sometimes, first, sometimes for the first time in my lack, God. I am so grateful to know you perhaps more profoundly than I did when I had an abundance. That's that. Gratitude, you know what it does? It bubbles up because gratitude, listen, gratitude ends up causing us, um, gratitude for what Christ is doing in our lives ends up causing us to be inspired to give generously. It does. It does. It, it weakens the, the. Some of us, we have possessions that possess us. And the way to break that is to learn how to be generous, to, to give. Not, not out of coercion. Listen, if it's not there, it's not there. It's okay. But if we have, this is what Paul was telling, this is what the Philippians modeled time and time again. You have experienced the life-giving touch of the Lord in your own heart. And out of that, you welled up and you longed to to give. You longed to be givers. You longed to be a part of what God was doing in somebody else's life. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. This is what Paul was getting at. See, gratitude, when we embrace a life of gratitude, you know what ends up happening to our heart? It ends up converting us into generous people. It does. It naturally leads there. And I wonder how many of us are surrounded by people. Listen, it doesn't have to be of a material resource. I don't know how many of us, we can start to be a little more generous of spirit, a little bit more generous with our words. We're a word Kindly given, sincerely given, lovingly given could be tremendous benefit to others. Uh, Some of us, perhaps we have been given something of an abundance and maybe we have experienced something of God's loving, life-giving touch in our soul. I wonder how many of us can be a part of what he longs to do in other people's lives. And, And I'll tell you what. In in these last six months that I've had the opportunity to serve in the capacity I've been serving, I've been able to witness it myself. I'll tell you, this church, it's filled with many generous people. It really is. I I have seen it. I've seen it. I've seen different people in deep need and others in our community rally around them in remarkable ways, some out of their abundance, some out of their lack. and I do understand what Paul says, it is a beautiful thing to, withhold, to witness. It is a beautiful thing to be a part of. It, it is the best kind of pride to be a part of a community that in its own way, shape, or form, we are learning how to be people who live a life of gratitude. May that continue to be the case. May others around us receive out of the abundance of our gratitude May they be encouraged, may they be strengthened, may they be blessed. May this be a season in which our joy continues to multiply. May that be the case. Um, In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving and our closing song, but uh, I would just love to pray and uh, ask for his blessing. So if you wouldn't mind joining me, Lord, we just... uh, Oh, I thank you for, thank you for how generous you are toward us. You are a God who loves to give to us. You, you love to pursue us with your loving kindness and your grace that is, uh, well, it just simply never runs dry. Your mercy that literally is new every morning, your faithfulness that uh, is with us, never rejects us never uh, forsakes us, God. And so I pray that uh, you would help us learn how to acknowledge truly how wealthy you make us in our soul, in our heart, in our mind. I pray that our love in you may abound more and more and that you would, out of that, you would help us embrace a life of gratitude. And then I pray that you give us the Privilege of being givers, of getting to be a part of what you want to do through our lives. What an incredible gift you give us, God. We pray for your blessing over our final moments here into our week. We ask for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.